Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we come together and to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us in what you would want us to hear from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Chronicles chapter 16, we have had... How about First Chronicles chapter 16? Um, we're not at Second Chronicles yet. <laughs> uh, we've had David bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He, he put it into a tent and... Last week, we talked about him giving the gifts to all the people and, and the joyfulness that he had with it. And we started into the Psalm of Thanksgiving of David in this chapter. And I'm going to go back to verse 7 and start reading there because I want to get the context of this, of this um, uh, Psalm of Thanksgiving. And then we'll continue from 23 where we left off. Uh, but it's a long psalm that David wrote for thanksgiving of God's ark being returned to worship. So, First Chronicles chapter 16, starting at verse 7. And on that day, David delivered first this psalm of thank to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him, sing praise, uh, psalms unto him, talk you of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in, and his strength, seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he has done, his wonders and judgments of his mouth. O you seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. Be you mindful always of the covenant, the word of the covenant commandment to a thousand generations, even to the covenant that he made with Abraham of his oath unto Isaac, and hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying unto you will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance when you were but few, even a few, and strangers in it. And when they went from nation to nation and from kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong, and he reproved kings for their sake, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among the nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also shall be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are his presence. Strength and greatness, uh, gladness are his place. Give thank, given to the Lord, you kindred, uh, kindreds of people. Given to the Lord, glory and strength. Given to the Lord, the glory due his name. Bring an offering, come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable and shall not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let men say among the nations, The Lord reigneth. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice in all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the woods sing out at the presence of the Lord, because of he comes to judge the earth. O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for he is mercy endures forever. And say you, Save us, O God, our, our salvation. And gather us together and deliver us from your brethren that we may give thanks unto your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. 
And all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. All right, here is a beautiful psalm of David. David is so happy at this point that he is bringing God back into the temple. Are you lost? Here, David giving this beautiful psalm. He starts out with a lot of history, which we talked about last week. Uh, the covenant of, of Abraham. He, he encourages people to sing and to praise God. So we start looking at verse 23. Sing unto the Lord, all you earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. And I love this. When things are going wrong or even crazy with us, to praise God is where we should default to. Now, I know that's a lot harder said than done sometimes, but it really is. Sometimes it just is, I've got to step back and worship God. Not try to read, maybe not even try to read the Bible, not even try to meditate, but just sing. Just praise. And this comes very important for us because when, when all hell's breaking loose on our life, it is hard sometimes. When, Peter, when, when Paul and was in the jail in Philippi, he had been beaten. He had been thrown into a dark cell. What was he doing? At midnight, he was worshiping God in songs. Now, I can imagine... You know, how irritated the rest of the prisoners must have been. At midnight, here's this nut singing <laughs> praises to God. And they were probably trying to figure out what is wrong with this guy. You know, you know word very quickly got around. You know, this guy was beat. This guy was having a hard time. And he's praising God. And this is what David is saying. You know, praise God. Sing. Show forth from day to day his salvation. And this is where we as Christians can really stand out in the world when everything seems to be going wrong and we give God praise. And it's not easy sometimes. Believe me, I understand. When I was gone those, the two weeks and I was in COVID and I missed being here. You know, I really did. And there was times when I was struggling saying, God, you know, this, is, this is crazy. I'm, I'm missing what I love to do. And so I had to even go back to this. There were times when I was just singing at home, you know, to try to bring my mind focused on God. Because it was hard. It was hard to study. It was hard to do anything. And so just saying, God, I want to sing. I just want to lift you up. And then when I got my mind in, in focus and everything, then I could study. Then I could pray and try to meditate and those things but it really becomes important to start with that mind, changing our mind. And for some people, it might just be study. For some people, it might be singing. I love to just, at work, when I can, you know, cross the yard, I'll just sing some hymns or sing some choruses as I cross the yard. Not full-voiced and everything so that everybody thinks I'm a nut, but I just quietly sing some chorus, some song. You know, sitting in my office, sometimes I just will start singing very softly, but just start singing and focus my mind on God. And this is the value of these worship songs we sing. These are the values of learning scripture songs to be able to focus our attention on God. And here's David saying, sing, sing to the Lord. 
Verse 424 says, declare his glory among the heathen and his marvelous works amongst all the nations. I love doing that part. To give God glory to the heathen. And talk about what God is doing. And it is so funny to talk to somebody and tell them what, how good God is and you just see their eyes roll back and saying, what kind of nut are you to talk about God? And it's fun. I enjoy doing it just because it's fun watching their reaction. And David is saying, declare to people, declare to people how good God is. What does that really do for us? Because if we're declaring how good God is, we're making ourselves remember how good God is. And it is easy sometimes just to sit back and wallow in our pain, wallow in our bad activities happen to us. God, you know, this whole, my whole life is falling apart. You know, this is terrible and all this. But if we start telling people about how good God is, it really changes the way we think. And it's also why we need to get together as a church to build each other up. Because this is the great place to tell people how good God is. Because we already believe that God is good. So if we can get used to telling each other how good God is and what he's doing in our life, it makes it a lot easier to go out and share him with others. Well, it's important. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And I do understand. When I was by myself, especially when everybody was in the hospital except for me, I was literally by myself. And it was pretty tough for a while. I mean, yes, I can worship. Yes, I can do some singing. But getting together with the body of Christ, even if it's just a handful of people, is where the value is coming from. And the Holy Spirit is there in the midst of you. And there is a difference. During that time off, I did all the lessons. I preached. But you know what? I could tell those weren't as great of lessons because it was just me and the Holy Spirit, but no individuals to make up the body of Christ. I know this is funny. Like the church, we had seven people, and then that night we had five people at Bible study. Yeah. And sometimes we have more people at our Bible studies than we do in church anymore, almost. Uh, which is very unusual for most churches. But it is important for us to gather together and to worship. And, you know, and this is what he's saying, declare. Declare the glory of God, the brightness of God, the, the wonder of God, and show forth you know, in his marvelous works. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised is David's statement. Great is our Lord and greatly to be praised. This is a statement that it, David uses and, and all the writers use in Psalms a lot. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. If we really start focusing on how great God is, then it really will bring great praise from us. And it is so easy to start forgetting God. You know, and not to I'm not talking about totally forgetting him, but it is easy to forget how great God is when we don't focus on him. When we are focusing on our life, our problems, our issues, whatever those issues might be, finances, emotional, uh, temptation into sin, family issues, there's all these issues. And if we focus on them, it is so easy to forget how great God is.
And this is why it's important for us to focus on him. And this is why it's important to gather as a church family because then we get encouraged because we get to see very rarely is the entire church down at any one time. There may be a handful of people that are down, but there's other people that are up and people going. And at first when you see that is like, I'm sick of all these people that are always so happy with God. You know, I wish, wish they could be miserable like me. But then you start realizing, hold it. They're where God wants them to be. And I can start saying, God is still good. God is still great. Romans 8.28 wasn't thrown out of the Bible just because I've been going through hard times. Yeah, and I love that. You know, and I can't remember which of it was. I, you know, um, but there was a wife of one of the great guys that I, I read, and she kept reminding her husband when everything was going bad, Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible. You know, uh, and sometimes we need that. We need that reminder that God has a plan and that he is great because that is hard for us sometimes, especially when we start feeling like Job and it feels like everything's being stripped away. And we're going, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? And God is standing on the side saying, I'm right here. Just keep trusting. I have a plan. This is just a test. And when, he, when we're in the middle of the test, God steps back to say, are you really going to believe what you believe? Because when you're in the middle of a test, that's when you're finding out, do I believe? And this is when we come back to God and say, God, you are great. You are wonderful. I am going to put my trust in you, no matter what I think I see. And we tend to walk by sight because we're human beings. It is hard to follow. Number one, it's hard to follow God because we don't see him. And sometimes we'll have the lost world saying, how can you follow a God that you can't see? Well, you know what? When I'm really following God, it's not that hard because I do see him. You know, in many ways, I get to see him when I'm in the right frame of mind. And if I'm focused on my trials and my tribulations, I don't see him. But when I sit back and say, wow, God, look at all that you are doing in my life. Look at all you're doing in our church. Look at all you're doing in these things. And then we say, God is great. He's worthy of great praise. And then he goes on, he says, in the second half of verse 25, he also is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So he says, David walked in a land where every nation had its own God. His own people tended to follow other gods, which is why he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the Jerusalem to say, we are going to follow God. And mostly during David's reign, the people followed God. There was not a lot of idol worship going on because David was a good leader and he was putting out all the other idols. But he's saying all these other nations may have gods, but they are idols. They're just blocks of wood, blocks of stone, uh, melted, melted gold. He goes, but we follow the God who has created, in his case, he says the heavens. He could have said the heavens and the earth. But God, he's saying, created the heavens. Do we always remember that God is that powerful? You know, and how often do we forget how powerful God really is? 
when we look at our life and say, my life is falling apart, God. Where are you? What, what are you doing? And I put myself in that same place. You know, I've been going through that over the last three to four weeks. You know, God, what's going on? Not that I, not that I was being driven off into any direction, but a lot of it was sitting back and saying, God, I'm not sure what's going on. And that's when I fall back on Romans 8, 28, and I'm going, God, I don't understand, but I know that you have a plan. And this is where it's very important to fall back into God's hands. Fall back into God and trust of, of God and just say, God, I am yours. You are, you are sovereign. You are in control. I cannot see the plan. I cannot see the, I cannot see the road ahead of me. I'm caught in a forest, and all I see is a whole bunch of trees with no, no path in front of me. But you have a plan, and I'm going to trust you. And here's David bringing this up and saying, we're going to honor God. Uh, verse uh, 27, glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give thanks to the Lord, you kindred of people. Give thanks unto the Lord, glory and strength. I love this psalm. This psalm is so beautiful. If you need a, a psalm of encouragement, this is one to read. David is going, glory and honor are in his presence. Do you realize how much God loves you? And this is something I'm really being serious about. There are times when we feel like our life is being beat up and that God doesn't love us anymore. And here David says his glory and honor are in the presence of God. He paid for our sin while we were his enemy. He has clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. He has declared us perfect. And he says, I am going to give you glory and honor just in my presence. And it says strength and gladness are in his place. Being with God, we get strength. And he gives us a peace that passes understanding. He gives us a gladness when everything else around us has fallen apart. And people look at us and saying, how can you seem to be so much at peace? How can you have joy in the midst of everything that's going on and that's when we can go god is still in control he has given me a peace that passes understanding and i love that about god that he gives us strength he gives us gladness he gives us peace he gives us joy in the midst of all hell breaking loose and again, we don't always feel it in that times. But the point is, am I going to stay focused on God? Am I going to keep my focus on God and his promises? And that is when it's hard. When we're in that test, again, going back to the Philippian jail, Paul and Silas are praising God after having been scourged. And that means their back was raw hamburger after being scourged. They were thrown into a dungeon cell with no mattresses. It would have had dirty, filthy, probably flea-infested, lice-infested straw. And they're laying there on that stuff, praising God. I can't even imagine that. And yet, that is what they did. And I think it's partly because Paul understood 
I was told to worship God. I was told to focus on God in this, in this Psalms. And then it says, uh, verse 28, Give thanks, uh, give unto the Lord, you kindred of people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering. Come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And here he's saying, give. Give the Lord what, he, what is due him. And again, I want us to remember, what is due God? Everything. Everything. No matter what is going on in my life, no matter how crazy my life might seem, God has a plan. And he says, give glory to God. Give honor to God. Uh, you know, give him what is due his name Bring offering, come before him, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And I love this, in the beauty of holiness. God has made us holy in Christ. And he's just saying, bring it back. The amazing thing for us is we worship God. It is not my strength that worships God. It is not even my being that worships God because my flesh is crucified. The Holy Spirit dwells inside me so that's the Holy Spirit bringing worship back to God from within me as I am being crucified and I'm being made a new creation. It's God giving himself worship through me, giving him what he is due. And it's a beautiful statement when we really think about how am I going to worship God? How am I going to stand up with God and worship him in holiness, in the beauty of holiness? And there are times when I am worshiping God where I feel like I have literally entered into the presence of God. It doesn't happen as often as I would like, but literally there are times when I just feel like I have stepped out of this world into the very presence of God. And it is awesome. It doesn't happen long. It doesn't happen often. But to just step out and say, God, wow. And I can imagine if that is just a taste of what heaven's going to be like. I've heard people say they can't imagine just worshiping God for a long period of time in heaven. If the little taste I get is even a beginning glimpse of what heaven's going to be like, I feel like I could worship God for a millennia or two and never get tired of true worship. And I wish it happened more often. But do we truly come before God and lift him up? Do we truly come before him in the holiness, the beauty of holiness, and just put our whole being before him? And this is important for us. How many people complain about going to church? You know, they don't sing the songs I want to do. They don't, it's too loud. It's too quiet. They're, you know, uh, there's too many modern words. There's too many, there's too many hymns. There's not enough of the songs I like. You know, we find so many reasons, but God says, worship me in the beauty of holiness. Our focus should be on him, not me. It's not about me. And I even get to pick the songs, but they're still not the songs about me because we sing lots of songs that I don't necessarily care that much for. 
because I also want to bring everybody into worship. And so this becomes the whole thing that we look at. Verse 34 says, Fear before him all, all the earth. The world shall be stable and it shall not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let men say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And I think this is so beautiful. It says, fear before him all the earth. Fear, reverence God. This fear is not the fear of, oh, I'm so afraid of God. But there's that reverence. He is special. He is wonderful. And do I reverence him? This is the fear of the idea of going before the president of the United States. Now, some people wouldn't have any, it wouldn't be a big deal. Some people would be very nervous. You know, this is the, this is the president or the governor or, or the mayor or somebody important, whoever that might be that you think is important. Maybe it's a movie star, I don't know, or a great, you know, your favorite singer. And there's this little thing of, I don't belong in the same room as this person. This is what he's talking about. Fear God. And we need to have a little bit of that fear of God, that trembling. God is so much greater than I am. And in reality, without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, without the, the, the uh, justification and sanctification, we don't, believe, we don't belong in God's presence. And we really can't stand in his presence without the Holy Spirit indwelling us and being clothed in Jesus Christ. One thing I have learned over the years is the closer I draw to God, the more I realize how sinful I am. And that is tough sometimes because you're going, God, you've worked so much out of my life. I am so, you know, and just when you start thinking good about yourself, God puts you in his presence and says, I want you to really see how far you have yet to go. Now, the good news is he sees us as perfect, but he wants us to understand we still need to fear him because we have a lot of sin in our life. Paul, at the end of his life, said, I am the chiefest of sinners. And there's a lot of theologians that say, well, that was Paul talking about how bad he used to be. I don't think so. I think he was really seeing, God, I have changed so much, but you are so righteous, so holy, that I am really recognizing that I am a nobody. I don't deserve anything that you give me. And that is a good place to be, but don't dwell in it. Come to the next step of saying, God, thank you that you have declared me perfect, that you have sanctified me, that you have justified me. We want to move beyond who we, who we see ourselves as to who God declares us to be. But the who we see ourselves is important every once in a while because it helps us Remember that we have not arrived. You know, and when we remember that we have not arrived, it gives us an easier chance to witness to other people. Because if we think we've arrived, then we have no patience for other people that haven't arrived. Then we become scribes and Pharisees that are judgmental of everybody. Well, if you guys were just as good as I was, or am, then we could fellowship good. Now, if you weren't such sinners, <laughs> We, we could get together and enjoy, enjoy things. And God wants us to understand that, yes, we are righteous in his sight and all that, but we still have a long ways to go before we are actually who he says we are. And this is the sanctification that he puts us through for our entire life. He, we get saved and he says, you are perfect, but then he says, I'm going to be making you perfect. 
and he starts taking things out of our life and making us more and more righteous, more and more able to stand before him in many ways and giving us a witness that stands before other people and saying, there's something different about these people. And this is the good news. The world looks at so many Christians, and it's really sad. I heard somebody say today, and it's really true, Christians generally come in two camps. Now, there's the third one. There are the ones that are actually following God, but they come in the group that's hypocrites. Say one thing and do something totally different. All right? And then there's the other group that say they believe in God, but they don't really believe in God and don't know God and, and don't have any power and answers for anything. And then we know that there's the third group that actually know God and they're studying to get to know God. But what does the lost world see most? They see the hypocrites and the weak Christians. They need to see more of the strong Christians and be, wow. And, and when, when they see those kind of Christians, they grab hold of them and say, not sure I want to follow what they're following, but they are different. And they start watching your life and saying, I want to know what's different. I want to know that God that they're following. You know, they may not even know it's God at first, but I want the peace that they have. And that's when we can stand up and be able to lift God up before the nations. And so he goes, um, and then it says in verse 31, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Up oh, 30, excuse me. Uh, the, all the earth and the world shall be stable and it shall not be moved. Now this is a prophecy because right now the, the heavens and the earth are not stable. We have sin affecting it. The fall is affecting it. But there will come a time when God will make everything completely stable again and that will not move in the new heaven and the new earth. I am looking forward to those days. You know, right now we have a world that is being shaken. God is bringing judgment upon the world for all the sin that's going on. We have floods, we have fires, we have hurricanes, we have earthquakes, we have storms in places that have never, never seen certain storms. We're having earthquakes happen in places that have never had earthquakes. And God is trying to get people's attention. The governments are falling apart. Everything is falling apart around us. And God is saying, are you putting your trust and your faith in stuff or in me? And this is why us as Christians, we really do have to put our trust in God. There are so many Christians that are putting their trust in government. They're putting their trust in the their 401ks and social security, all of that stuff is going to fall apart. God is our only stable place. And we need to stay focused on him and say, God, my trust is in you. If my trust was in government, I would be a basket case. If my trust was in our economy, I'd be in trouble because our economy has fallen apart. If my trust was in anything other than God, I'd be a complete and utter basket case. And you know what? The world generally is. The world is generally basket case because they're all worried. They're all worried about what is going to happen next. Who is going to get sick next? When, when's the next major storm coming? When, when is my 
you know, bank account going to fall apart? When am I going to lose my job? You know, all these things that come down to what's going on. And COVID is not helping matters any with all of this. It's intensifying people's panic. You know, people are worried about losing their jobs if they don't do certain things. And they're worried about getting sick and dying. And they're worried about once they are sick, you know, getting over all the sickness that comes their way. And so we've got all of this panic, all of this desire, and God is saying, are you trusting me? Are you trusting me? Have you built your house upon the rock of God, or is your home and your foundation built upon the shifting sands of this world? And this is a big deal. And sometimes even we as Christians find ourselves actually believing on the sand rather than the rock. And we need to be careful. Because God is saying, build upon me. I am your stable foundation. And here's David saying, guys, let's get, let's get here to God. Let's, let's look to God. Um, verse 32, then let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice and all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the woods sing out in the, pre in the presence of the Lord because he comes to judge the earth. And I love this. What did Jesus say to them? They, they said, the, the Pharisees told them, Oh. What'd you bring? The scribes and Pharisees say, stop these people from praising you. And what did Jesus say? If they stop, the very stones will cry out in worship. David's saying the same thing. here. He's not saying stones, but he says, the trees will worship God. Nature will worship God. I, I wonder if nature still worships God you know, to this day and that we just don't hear it. Now, I can imagine from God's perspective, the rocks and stones and trees and plants all worshiping him because they're his creation they're his creation and we're seeing here he says all of these things and he says then they shall be they shall cry out in the presence of the lord because he comes to judge the earth and they need help they fell too when adam and eve fell the entire of nature fell and earthquakes and storms and all these bad things that happened so all of nature, all of the world has fallen. And so it's waiting to be redeemed as well. It's waiting for that redemption. Verse 34, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. And you shall say, Save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us together, and deliver us from the heathen, that, that we, we may give thanks unto your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. So here we have the ending of it. He says, Let the sea roar, and let the fields rejoice at all. Let the trees of the woods sing out. And then it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And this is something we always have to remember. God is good. And I love the statement where we say God is good all the, all, all the time and all the time God is good. 
Do we really believe that? Yes. You know, do we truly believe it when things don't seem to be going, going our way? Do we really believe that God is always good? I hope so. But I also know that we don't all the time. There's going to be times when we sit back and go on doubt, maybe forget. But that's the, that's the important statement, because I say that all the time. There are times when I say, God, I don't see how any good is going to come out of this, but I am going to hold on to this promise where all that I have, and I picture it as the, the rope hanging over a chasm with a knot tied to it, and I am holding on for dear life to the only knot that I have, knowing that I can't let go, because there's a deep, deep fall below me and I'm just waiting for God's hands to come underneath me and lift me up. And I've been there. been there many times where it says, I know you're good, God, but I sure can't see it. This is where Job was through all of, all of his trials, especially when his you know, good friends told him how bad he was and how awful he was and how he must deserve all of what he's doing. And he's holding on tightly to the promise that God loves him and that God is his redeemer and not understanding anything. He's just holding on to the promises of God. And this is why it is important for us to know the promises of God. And not everybody's going to use Romans 8.28 as their, as their strength. They're going to have whatever it is that they have as their life first. That they just know that God is telling them. You know, it could be something as simple as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your path. And that's the same thing as Romans 8.28. God, I don't understand any of this, but I am putting my trust in you. And this is where it becomes important. What is the verse that you grab hold of when all your life is falling apart and you say, God, I am just trusting you? I and then honor the Lord with the yeah. with all your in yeah. first fruits of your increase and thus shall your barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst forth with new wine that whole, that whole psalm is a beautiful yeah, psalm. Yeah, really uh, you know, and so, again, Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite ones, and you all know that, and I love Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ, Christ liveth, I live by the faith of Christ in me. And this is where it's so important. What are, what are the verses that you gravitate to? What do you hold on to? That's a great one. When you're, when you're under trials... 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a perfect one. There hath, no there hath no temptation overtaken you, but such is common to man. The God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able to withstand, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. Beautiful verses. And this is why we memorize verses every month, because I want people to grab hold of a verse, 1 Corinthians 10.13. Uh, to grab hold of verses and say, 
This is the verse that God has used in my life. This is what I am going to gravitate to. And, you know, there's some are going to be more important than, to, to you than others. But we need to be able to hold on to this. And it says, save us, O God, our salvation. Gather us together. Deliver us from the heathen that we may give thanks to your holy name. Understanding that God is in control is so beautiful. It is what gives us peace. He is sovereign. Uh, Proverbs tells us that God turns the heart of the king in whatever direction he wants to turn it in. Now, this kind of makes us sometimes wonder, God, how can you let so many bad things be happening in our, in our governments and our leaders? But he didn't say that he was going to turn the heart of the king to do what's what we think is best. He says, I am in control of the heart of the king, and they will do what I want them to do. Israel did so much sin that Assyria came in and conquered them. God could have changed that heart. And as a matter of fact, God has said many times, I love you so much, I don't want to do this, but you've rejected me so bad that I've got to do this. The southern kingdom, Judah, keeps going bad and bad and bad, and God sends Babylon in to take them into captivity. You know, because of their sin, God says, I love you, I love you, I love you, but judgment is coming. And we've talked about this several times now. When judgment falls, God's people will suffer as well during that fall because the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. Our job as Christians is to preach the gospel and hopefully turn this nation back to God. If, we do not, if this nation does not turn back to God, then judgment will fall on this nation and apparent bad things will happen to us as Christians. We may find ourselves under great persecution and judgment. We will find at best being thrown into prisons and, well, I guess that wouldn't be the best. The best would be to be martyred and then the next one would be thrown into prisons and, and, and suffer. But we look at that and say, God, you're still in control. And you are in our salvation. Deliver us that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord of Israel forever and ever. And I love that. Glory be the name of the Lord. This is where our great strength is. And at the end of that psalm, everybody said, Amen. All right, now, Amen means let it be, or so be it. And so they're saying, let's give praise to God. Let's give glory to God. And it says, amen, and praised, praised be the Lord. They brought glory and praise to God. I love this, this psalm that David has for the people, and they get wrapped up into it. And I don't know, what's, I don't know the song or the beat that went with this song. People got into it. And these types of songs became what they would sing in church. Now, and when they would come to meetings, these were the songs they sang. They sang songs about the glory of God. They, the, they lifted up the history of Israel during, that, during those, those songs and praised God. And, you know, I love that. Verse 37, we're going to try to finish the chapter. So he left there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, Asaph and his brethren, to minister before the ark continually as every day's work required. And Obedom, their brethren, 68 
uh, and Obadan also of, of Jeduthun and Husa to be porters, and Jadok the priest and his brethren and, and the priest before the tabernacle of the Lord in a high place that was in Gibeon to burn to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord upon the altar of the burnt offering continually morning and evening, and to according to all that is written in the law of, Mo, of the Lord which he commanded Israel, and with them Heman and Jeduthun and the rest that were chosen who were expressed by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. And with them Heman and Jehudathan with trumpets and cymbals for those that made, make, should make a sound. And with musical instruments of God, the sons of Jehudan were porters and all the people departed, every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. So David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. It appears that he also brought the, the, temp, the, the altars and everything else. He set up the tabernacle to worship God at Jerusalem. And he puts the Asaph in charge of singing. He brings the, the priests in. He brings in, you know, uh, 68 of the priests and, and Levites to, to lead the worship of God at this point and brings the priests in and they're to give offerings morning and night and all day long as people bring in. But part of the worship was to have a morning offering every day and an evening offering every day. And then they gave offerings all day long as the people came and made offerings. And so one of the things that came to worship, and I'm so glad that we don't have to come and give an offering to God constantly. Jesus is our sacrifice. He was a one-time sacrifice so that we can come into the presence of God and that we could have our sins forgiven. In their day, they had to bring offerings in all the, all the time. And they were to show up at least three times a year to give sacrifices and the really righteous ones were there much more than three times a year. Now, it was hard for the ones up on Dan because that's as far north as you can go. And it took, it took a week or two to get to where you worshiped God. So it was a big deal for them to worship God. And you know, all of this process, and it says they, they were to offer burnt offerings in 40. And the burnt offerings continually morning and evening. And to do according to all the law of the Lord. David brought out the law of the Lord and reestablished it. Because remember, about three chapters that we go, we said Saul was not worshiping God. From the time Samuel died, Saul was rejected by God and he rejected God. He did not go and give offerings. He did not encourage the people to give offerings. The, the tabernacle was falling into disrepair the priests were leaving the tabernacle because nobody was supporting them. If they weren't coming in giving offerings, the priests and the Levites couldn't make money, so they went to their hometowns and became farmers and herdsmen because they needed to feed themselves. And so David is bringing the people back to worship God and encouraging them every morning, every night, bring your sacrifices to God. We want to worship God. We want to remember why we are special. This is why he went all the way back to Abraham and said Abraham was called by God and given a covenant by God that all nations would be blessed 
by him and through him. And we know that the ultimate of that was when Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross, all nations were blessed by God because of Abraham's seed. But we also know that it is true that those nations that bless Israel are blessed. Those nations that curse Israel are cursed. And this is one of the things that I'm very fearful of our nation right now is our nation is stepping back from Israel and not being very supportive. We haven't come out against them yet, but it's only a matter of time before we step out against them. When we get to the end days, it says Israel will stand alone. There will be no nation that stands with Israel. Now, why will that be? I don't know. Maybe we have fallen so far that we, we don't stand with them. Maybe we're destroyed. I think we're going to fall too far because our nation is, is on the, I think it's over the precipice already, but you know, <clears throat> hopefully we can be called back from the precipice and be able to honor God. I don't have a lot of hope in that. I think we've already crossed the precipice and we're, we're on the other side of the cliff falling. Haven't hit the bottom yet. And when you're falling, there's not, there's not much to worry about until you hit the bottom. And I think, unfortunately, we're falling. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope that there's going to be a revival. But we're looking around and saying, God, there is so much going on. The world is, is over, the, over the edge. Yes, they can repent. Yes, they can turn around. But will they? I don't think so. The world, huh? In many cases, in many cases, they were worse than what we have now. But at the same token, we are very close to where they were. And we're going back like how they were. Yeah. The end days, it said that people will be as the days of Noah when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. It's a scary thought because this is what's going on. My truth is my truth and you know yeah. and you can't tell me what's right and what's wrong because if I believe it's true it's true. Yeah, Doing that. what's I feel that person, but it's not wrong in my eyes so it's okay. That's yeah. just you know that concept right there. Uh, I didn't steal from that person. They owed it to me right. so I took back what I took back what they owed me. Now, even though it didn't belong to me, they, they should have given it to me, so I took it. And this is where we're at right now. You know, it is okay to sleep with whoever you want because I, I get pleasure out of it, and I don't care that God says it's wrong. You know, I don't care that God says don't lie. I don't care that he says steal, don't steal. I don't care that he says, you know, whatever else he says. I think it's okay, so it's okay. And this is where we are getting in our world and the sad thing are there's so many Christians that are doing what's right in their own eyes instead of saying, I believe in God and trust God. Now, I use Christians very lightly because if you're going to go that I can do whatever I want and I'm right and God's wrong, then I have some problems with your Christianity. I'm not going to say you can't be saved, but have some problems with that if you're not trusting in God as Lord and Master and saying, I'm going to believe what I believe. And so this is something that is very, very hard to understand. 
And then in verse 41, I love this, and, and Heman and Jerah and the rest were, they were chosen, they were expressed by name, to give thanks unto the Lord because it is mercy endured. His mercy endures forever. God's mercy. Even when he brings judgment on the world, he does so with mercy. During the days of Noah, Noah built an ark for 120 years, preaching salvation every day for 120 years, and nobody responded. He built a boat big enough to handle a good chunk of the world's population if they had just repented, and yet they would not repent. God is bringing judgment on this world. The church remnant is still preaching the gospel. We're still sharing the gospel, and people aren't listening for the most part. Yes, some people get saved. Every once in a while, somebody gets saved. But it's going to be just a small remnant. And then it says that they worship God with trumpets and cymbals, and and for those that made sounds and with musical instruments. I kind of would have loved to have gone into the tabernacle to just to listen. You know, how many churches have full orchestras <laughs> for their worship? Not very many. Now, and here he's talking about orchestras, cymbals, trumpets, and all other instruments. You know, and we're told in, in, in various places in Psalms that there was drums and lutes and and flutes and harps and all these different things. You know, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like to worship God in heaven and the music that will be there. And, you know, hopefully nobody's going to be in heaven saying, well, I don't like this music. You know, and I've met lots of people who get irritated if there's a drum or a cymbal or a, or a guitar even in a, in, a, in a church service. You know, and it's like, why? The Bible talks about all of those things. You know, if we had a big enough church and everything and had the musicians, I wouldn't mind having other, other musicians in our, in our church. Maybe God will get us big one day enough to have these other instruments. I don't know. I'm not opposed to them in any way, shape, or form. And I'm wanting to see what God will do for us. And then the last verse in the chapter says, And all the people departed, every man to his house. After this beautiful psalm of thanksgiving, after being given the, the meat and the cakes of, cakes of raisins and all that stuff that was given to them, they now go back home. All back home and, say, and they're worshiping God as they're going home. And it says, David returned to bless his house. Now, I don't have a long time to unpack this one, but I just want to look at this one and think. From when we read this, the only one in David's family that was out there praising God is David. None of his eight wives seem to be here. None of his sons, none of his daughters. It's David, and now he's going to go home and celebrate with his family that should have been with him in worship. You know, and it just tells us, you know, as we get to know David... David had a lot of problems in his life. He was not a good father. He was not a very good husband. He was a great military leader and a pretty good king. But as a family man, his children did not follow him. 
And that's a sad statement when we look at it. And if you remember all through Second uh, S- Samuel, we see all the problems David has because he's a bad father. Uh, in First Chronicles, the only thing we really have about David in Chronicles is his establishing the tabernacle in Jerusalem. He conquers Jerusalem and then he establishes the tabernacle there. And then we're going to see his heart's desire is going to be building the temple and then David's gone. We don't have a whole lot about, about him in Chronicles. His, his whole purpose is to establish the, the, the beginnings of the temple. And then we get into to Samuel, uh, Solomon, and the building of the temple. But now David's going back to bless his family. And yeah, I can almost hear him. You guys should have been there. It was so wonderful to dance and praise God and to sing before God. And if you've ever been there where you're looking at your family and going, what are you talking about? You know, if you do not have a family that's actively following God, it is hard. You come back from church and you're all excited. You spend some time reading the Bible and you're all excited. And they look at you and going, what is wrong with you? You know, don't you see all these things going on in our life? Don't you see all the bad things? No, all I see right now is God. And I trust God. And David comes home and this is what he's facing. It is wonderful when you come in and they're going, and I love being around especially new Christians. New Christians get excited about everything God does. Every time they read the word of God, they get excited because it's new and it's fresh. And this is one of the reasons I love to have new Christians coming around. This is why I'd love to see us bring all kinds of people into the church that don't know God and maybe they can get saved and we can start getting some excitement around here of new Christians saying, look what God's done. Now we can get excited as old Christians too, but you know, we, we tend to get to the place where it's just old hat. Of course God did that. Of course he showed me something new. And we lose that excitement of the freshness of God. And it's not good that we do, and don't get me wrong, it is, it is really bad that we lose that excitement and that freshness. And that's the side. Anytime we're around new Christians, we get that excitement that, you know what, God, it really is true. You are good. You are making plans. You are, you are the God that I want. And, these, and new Christians can get you very excited again and say, thank you, God, I needed, I needed that shot in the arm of excitement. And it's very important. And, you know, at the same time, our faith needs to be built upon the doctrines of God and the truth of God and not on excitement. All right. We do need that stability of maturity that says, I just know that God is God. I don't need to feel, you know, on a mountaintop. I don't need anything. I just know that God is God. And when you're on the mountaintop, that's great. I just know that God is God. When I'm in the valley and everything seems to be going crazy, maturity puts me back on that and saying, God, you're God. I'm going to trust in you, even though my emotions are all over the place. I'm going to trust in you. Now, the new Christian, right now, they're just kind of all over the place, and they're, they're, they're high one moment, and they're low the next moment, and they don't know enough doctrine to stay stable. And we need to be able to understand that is good on one side, but we have to know enough doctrine to stay stable. When I'm high, that's wonderful. It's fun to be on the mountaintop, but just know that God is still at the base of it. 
when all hell is breaking loose and my life is falling apart, I know that God is still in charge and he's in control and I can stay stable. The high and lows are not what we want. We do not live by emotions. You know, it is great. Don't get me wrong. Those emotions can be fun. It is fun to be on the mountain. It's fun to, to be even in the valley and just say, God, I trust you. But we trust him because we put our life on the firm foundation of the word. And I change the way I think. I meditate upon his word. You know, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our job is to have our mind transformed. That's Romans 12, uh, 12, 1 and 2. And that word for transformed literally is the word metamorpho. And it's just like the caterpillar going into a cocoon and being, huh? 12, 1 and 2. And coming out of that cocoon, a butterfly. And if you do the study on it, it goes in with one DNA pattern and comes out with a totally different DNA pattern. We enter into God, into God, into the cocoon of his thought processes as fallen, broken down mankind, and we come out of the cocoon totally changed with a totally different DNA that is free to fly and not bound to this world. And the thing is, he keeps doing it in every area of our life. He doesn't do it all in one area all at once. I kind of wish he did it all in one area all at once. It would make life so much simpler. But he's going to say, I want you to change. But you know, at the same time, how difficult would it be if God changed just instantly overnight? How much of our thought processes are done autonomically? We don't even think about them. Most of our decisions are done without ever thinking about it. So God changes a little bit of our life at a time and says, and then we can look at our life and say, wow. I just made a God decision on this event and I didn't even think about it. I wasn't even thinking about it. It's hard for my family to see that there's an actual change in me and that it's not just But never get discouraged because we never know what little things are being said or done that will change somebody. Yeah. And it's a good, and it's always that great thing. Yeah. You're not as you're not as angry as you're you're not you're not as uh, vengeful. You know all these different things that people look at, and and ultimately this is the beauty of it. The closer we draw to God, the more He makes us loving, the more He makes us forgiven, the more He. The more he changes the way we think and the more people will notice. But the thing about it is when they first notice it, it angers them and upsets them and they push against it. And they're trying to find out. One of the things they're trying to find out is, is it real? Can I push you over the edge and, and see that you are, that you are, that this was all a game and that it wasn't real? And then we fall and we have to ask for forgiveness and we, and we watch God touch them even with that. But it's very important that we stand forth with God.
And it is tough sometimes. And this is why it is so important for us to have people that we can be hanging out with and that support us, whether we're on our game or not on our game. When things are down, they're there to support us. They're praying for us. They're encouraging us. And this is why it's important to come and be with the body of Christ. And I'm not saying the whole church is the body of Christ. There are people in the church that are looking to tear you down and rip you apart. But you get to know who you can trust. You get to know who's going to encourage you. And you watch for that encouragement. And when everything's going down, you just go and say, I needed that person's prayer. I needed, maybe it's just a smile. To know that I'm not crazy. To know that, you know, to know that I am loved and somebody likes me. And sometimes that's hard because sometimes we don't even like ourselves because we see what we're doing. Now, and that's when we come to the body of Christ and say, I needed that. I needed the encouragement of the body. And we're going to end here. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are a great God. Teach us to always be thankful and to seek after you in all that we do. And we thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.